Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. This is the Ancient Health Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Chris Motley. And our guest today is somebody that I have been so excited to bring on because I've actually learned probably more from her than I would imagine most anybody else. This woman knows, I feel like, the depths of everything when it comes to your health, when it comes to food, especially when we look at food as medicine. And that's always kind of the premise and groundwork that we try to instill and educate people on. Uh, but she has had just so many years of clinical practice. So her experience just goes so deep. And she's also the author of the Anti-Anxiety Diet Book, as well as the Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook, which I highly recommend. I actually have them both here. I was just showing her um, a moment ago. They have been in my arsenal for years. So guys, if you don't already know who this is, Allie Miller is a phenomenal teacher, instructor, and She's based in Texas and uh, she's got a little daughter, Stella, that I love to see make little appearances here and there on her social media. But I love her podcast. It's called the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Got to drop that too, because if you're interested in learning more from her, that has been an incredible tool and resource uh, for me personally. So Allie, thank you for joining us today on the show. Thank you. I'm stoked to be here. It's going to be a great, great conversation. Yeah. Dr. Motley, good to always co-host with you. Thank you so much. It's, um, you know, we've had, uh, we had almost a technical hiccup this morning, but I'm glad we're on track and Alex, so glad, I'm so glad that you're here and you're joining us and I am ready to dive in about neurotransmitters and gut health related to anxiety and depression. And I'm really excited to hear about, uh, your take on this and everybody out there that they can get a good grasp on it. Nothing like technology to be an anxiety driver in many ways, shapes, and forms, <laughs> both exactly the lack right. of control and uh, also, you know, obviously EMF and the impact that technology has on us physiologically. But yes, that's always a fun way to start the day with technology-induced jitters. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I will take the blame for that one. So I, I, you know, tried one too many passwords, locked us out of our, <laughs> our recording account, and but we got a backup in play. So Lovely. here we are. I may need like a little GABA or something to take yes. the edge off, but other than that- Do you have anything right now, Allie, for her to do? <laughs> right. Yeah. My GABA calm for sure. I keep, my, right. calm and clear. Right. I keep my calm and clear on the desk too. That's right. Yes. Yeah, calm yeah. and clear and adaptogen boost. Those are my two regulators. Kind of yep. keep that pendulum swinging. <laughs> it's that's so it. perfect. This is the perfect segue into what we're going to talk about today, which is all about mental health. So this yeah. is something that, I mean- if you aren't struggling with it, you likely know somebody or maybe live with somebody that has anxiety or depression or some type of mood or behavioral struggle. And I've seen a lot of this more recently too, I feel like, and I would love your input, Allie, after COVID. So we've got this new virus that's gone around and there, I, I think that there's a lack of understanding in even these inflammatory you know, cytokines and uh, kind of responses of the immune system and how that can actually play into a lot of uh, mental, you know, issues that people are experiencing. Can you maybe just shed some light on that? Yeah, most definitely. And and before digging into like virus driving inflammation and brain dysregulation, which is a whole big can of worms, uh, just to share with listeners, you know, when when I wrote the anti anxiety diet back in 2017. I had a couple buddies in the functional medicine field that would, would say, well, yeah, I, I'll check it out. I love your style, Allie, but you know, anxiety isn't really something I deal with or, you know, oh, that's, that might not be my problem, but I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. And just to kind of set the foreground that when I wrote it, I kind of came off the hypothesis after 10 years at that time of, of functional medicine work that if our nervous system isn't in a parasympathetic space, if we are in an overdrive of fight or flight, so maybe you don't recognize anxiety, maybe it's just a mismanaged stress response, just to kind of make it a broader audience or reach. I feel that mismanaged stress or chronic stress response is the Achilles heel to wellness. And that's kind mm -hmm. of the hypothesis or the backstory of the anti-anxiety diet. So even if we're not dealing with depression, anxiety, manic bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, or these, you know, ICD-10 code diagnostic criteria of mental illness, 
when we are dealing with chronic high demand stress and the body is in survival mode, it is not going to be able to balance hormone. It is not going to be able to have optimal metabolism. The microbiome gets disrupted. We get gut integrity issues, micronutrient deficiency, and so many more manifestations. And we'll play whack-a-mole with chronic disease. But if we don't address that underlying mismanaged HPA access, which we can nerd out about what that is, you know, that's really what I tend to see of driving perpetual health chronic concerns. And with the uh, perpetual motion, like uh, cytokines and immune, immune response, creating that inflammatory response, I see that in your talks, many people um, would say, well, does that mean that I'm in a heightened sense of, uh, like you say, excitement? Most people will mistake that their excitement is actually stress. Yes. And so that like, you show that on your website, that if you're in a certain state of sympathetic tone, which would be a heightened amount of dysregulation, Mm -hmm. that could lead to imbalances within their mood and with their digestive tract as well. Yes. And so when we're dealing with infection, um, this could be a gut infection. This could be virus. Uh, so it's broader, right? So it could be dysbiosis, could be SIBO, could be candida, could be COVID, could be um, mono, right? Mm -hmm. Any form of infection or pathogen, the immune system is going to upregulate an inflammatory response. When the immune system upregulates an inflammatory response to turn on our innate and acquired immune system, it's a, it's a mechanism to actually upregulate the body's ability to fight or combat. Mm -hmm. In that process, we both will have these yeah, cytokines, prostaglandins, inflammatory chemical response can actually create more epinephrine or adrenaline um, mm -hmm. in the system. In dysbiosis state, we know that when the gut biome is off, and, and we've seen also secondary to infection, sterility of lactobacillus and bifido bacteria, for instance, following infection with specifically COVID. And so, mm. you know, we see often with any kind of infection when those cytokines and prostaglandins are up, that the body goes into this heightened fight or flight stress response because it's essentially saying something's not right. We're in battle mode. We're in battle mode. And even with a more silent gut infection, which might not be as acute of a impact of a viral infection, we might not have fever, body aches, dynamic response might just be that the gut's off. If we are higher in dysbiotic uh, flora, mm -hmm. we actually will make more epinephrine and we will actually have less production of serotonin and GABA. And so the body might not be dealing with a divorce or an emotional stressor or something remarkable where they would perceive fight or flight drive or stress or anxiety mm -hmm. response, but they might be dealing with panic attack. They might be dealing with physiological responses of survival mechanisms. Uh, so it could be tightness in the chest, could be shortness of breath, could be elevated blood pressure or arrhythmia, uh, dryness in the mouth, brain fog, any of these types of things. And this can literally go down to that infection as a starting point. Um, and so definitely there is a connection in that sense. And I think also when we go back to what's happened over the last three years, fear was a very big element of what was being shared in the media. There was a lot of disempowerment, uh, disinformation, and we weren't given solutions. I remember reading articles in the first year, especially like, we don't know why the elderly are dying. And it's like, the elderly always die from, I mean, I hate to be, it sounds not sensitive, but the reality is because they have lower vitamin D status, because they have sarcopenia, they don't have ample muscle mm. mass because they have low white blood cell count because they, <laughs> they're eating excessive sugar. And um, so, you know, it's like, there's, there was definitely a lot of information I think that was suppressed and people didn't feel empowered. Like they had autonomy or the ability to make changes to be resilient. And I think that that disempowerment can create a lot of anxiety and, you know, fight or flight response as well. I was going to ask, so it would be when you have COVID or viral infections and you have infections within the gut, say that a person had an infection when they're younger, let's say they mm -hmm. had chronic H. pylori or salmonella sure. or something mm -hmm. of that sort. Is it possible that when they get triggered by another infection, let's say it is COVID, let's say it is a viral infection like flu. I've heard and I read through your um, through many of the things that you posted that there's a connection where when this occurs, it actually can send signals back up through like Vegas, the vagus nerve. Like mm -hmm. you can actually have an afferent like signal that goes from the organ to the brain and it actually is training the brain and actually will trigger the brain, like you say, to have an inflammatory response. So you could actually have a mood disruption because 
they say that some viruses and bacteria have been known to actually travel up the nerve. I didn't know that mm -hmm. that was a possibility, but I read about that a few years ago mm -hmm. and it mm -hmm. makes sense. So th there is a possibility then that like you can get triggered and all these infections can cause your mood to get out of whack and then put you into the overdrive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good. That's good. Sorry, Courtney. I didn't want to interrupt. Um, I just I had, I had to answer no, that for myself. No, this is actually a really interesting uh, conversation because what I am understanding now is really kind of a cascade. So maybe you do have an underlying gut infection. Maybe you've got some dysbiosis. Maybe you've got some leaky gut, that kind of you know low-grade inflammation going on. And then the presence of a virus or maybe some traumatic event, or maybe it's just, you know, you've got kids, there's just a lot of things going on. So you're not, you're not recovering, you're not getting enough rest that creates this upregulation or need for the HPA axis or the stress response system to have to kick into high gear to kind of fill in the gap or to, or to create, you know, a little bit of carryover. So what does that I guess, what is the influence of the brain yeah. and the adrenals when it comes to mental health? And I think that that's a huge piece of how I approach my book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet. I have six R's of kind of different, more dynamic dials, if you will, right? Nothing is, I, I love this kind of mantra of nothing is an on or off switch in the body. Mm -hmm. Most things are dials. Um, and, and if we're talking about like fasting, people are like, well, does this break my fast? And I'm like, well, are you in a caloric deficit and you're not stimulating an insulin response? Probably not. Is it less? Of, it's not like you fall off a cliff. You know, it's like, it's a dial, man. And if you're under, you know, it's a, so there's this continuum, right? Um, and so same thing as far as like, what's our driving cause? And I try to present my book in that way where I look at uh, reducing inflammatory foods. I look at um, resetting the microbiome and ensuring it's working for us in a symbiotic state, repairing leaky gut. If we've had enteropathy or gut wear and tear, mm -hmm. uh, I look at rebounding the adrenals, uh, rebalancing neurotransmitters. And that's actually the final R and somewhere in the middle there is restoring micronutrient status. And so for each individual, Courtney, you know, like someone will have a more heavy Achilles heel in that pot, right? And so each chapter, what I do is I provide quizzes to try to guide the reader or the user to understand, oh, when I went swimming in that lake and my bowels have never been right since, I probably need to go into that reset microbiome and do a six-week gut cleanse to get back on track or yes, I went through a really gnarly divorce and I was having insomnia. And after the fly hit the wall, I've been chronically fatigued. Maybe I need to go into that rebounding adrenals and really dig into assessing cortisol and DHEA. Maybe I had three babies in a row and I breastfed until I got pregnant with the next one. And I need to go into the, um, you know, re-nourishing micronutrient mm. status. Mm. Uh, so everyone will have more of an area, I think, of focus of why they're at that mismanaged HPA access, if that makes sense. Um, and so I try to provide the user or reader to understand the more of, aha, that's me. That's where I need to dig deeper. I think you had a question on adrenals and, and brain, but I'm happy to address that too. But I just want to kind of set that tone, you know, of kind of a multifactorial. I don't think there's one poignant contributor. I think that depending on that N equals one individualized experience, something's going to sing louder and then something will be likely secondary, tertiary. Maybe not all six are an area of focus, but should all be considered when we're looking at a clinical assessment and really getting good intervention outcomes. I, I agree. I think that's such a great point that with those placements within your book that people can actually find out where they're at because some individuals definitely are in different and stressful environments. And I, I think the one thing I really appreciate about how you approach this is that even like neurotransmitters or brain chemicals, uh, mm -hmm. even the breakdown of like serotonin or dopamine in the gut. And I think that the way you present it, that many individuals out there would say, oh, you mean I swam in a lake? And I could have gotten parasites from the lake and it could have disrupted my biome. Right. Yes, it could. Right. Yeah, and then yeah. you think, can that parasite be a blood parasite and eat up B vitamins in your body and rob you of iron, which right. would then disrupt your body's ability to process tryptophan or tyrosine to make right. the neurotransmitters. And I think that everybody has their own single like, oh man, I did swim in a lake and I did have problems <laughs> after that. You know what I mean? Like, or have you right, ever had those times? Or been suppressed and we don't know why. Well, yep. we'll into that kind of thing. They, they always say like on, on Instagram, right? They'll, or any the feed, they'll say, hey, my ferritin's really low. I have this, this, and you go, oh, there's a blood parasite in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. There's a gut and infection. It, mm -hmm. There's total gut infection. And I think it's really great that you take that avenue and people out there would just say, 
they go to certain uh, healthcare practitioners and uh, you know try to give them like the uh, I hate to say it the smooth ride like oh it's just this and this and eat plenty of this but I like it that you're specific about how you approach food and diet yeah. and overall nutrients and vitamins so I just wanted to give you that plug because that's great thank how you. you approach that thank you yeah I mean not only does each chapter have the quiz of figuring out what's my biggest area of focus we also will recommend in their supplement strategy and food is medicine strategy mm. per area mm. of focus and then advanced labs to consider if you're not getting results with those preliminary interventions. And in the world of neurotransmitters, I mean, I think of neurotransmitters as a symphony in the brain, right? And so I think also we get very myopic in, in any world, you know, even in the functional medicine world, uh, depending on how long people have been doing it, they like might nerd out. I always kind of laugh. I'm like, okay, there's certain practitioners in the area that I kind of have to scoop up and rescue and reset some of the patient's uh, because it's like, okay, they, they clearly just took the AFM guideline on leaky gut and they think everyone has leaky gut. So everyone's going on glutamine and this and that, and that, and that's okay, yeah. but we have to step back and, and really understand what is the priority for each individual. Um, not just what's the hottest topic that I just learned about. Um, and then I'm just going into that same kind of hallway of this protocol that's standardized and not individualized. But when we think of neurotransmitters, when I, when I liken them to like a symphony in the brain, we could say that the vagus nerve is the conductor. We could say that the gut is the conductor. When we look at the impact of neurotransmitters, we tend to think of like serotonin, good, <laughs> epinephrine, moderate, you know, and again, it's these dials, right? Like mm -hmm. in my table, I give a table of the neurotransmitter chapter and I talk about what is too high of serotonin look like, mm -hmm. which is often mm -hmm. going to be diarrhea too high of serotonin can drive a little bit of also obsessive overthinking rumination. We'll also see that with high dopamine for certain, mm -hmm. um, too low of serotonin beyond depression or anxiety. We can also see myalgia. Um, so we think of that as a huge intervention in the world of like fibromyalgia, often suppressed or low serotonin will drive body aches, a little bit of more fatigue, um, lethargy. So again, you know, there's these, these like kind of perfect spot. It's not just like go take five HTP and ramp up your serotonin because if yeah. you do that blindly, you're going to be in an imbalanced neurotransmitter status. And unfortunately in the allopathic conventional medicine space, we've identified of our many neurotransmitters, two or three that we're using pharmacological interventions on, and they work on receptor sites to interfere with the feedback mechanism of the brain. Uh, and they often over time will drive deficiency of the building blocks. Uh, and this is why mm. we become dependent on needing more medication to get that stimulus. And they're often blindly prescribed. Um, it's almost like, you know, we're spinning a wheel and just throwing a dart at it and saying, we'll start you here. When I'm working with patients on a medication wean or an intervention of nutraceuticals with pharmaceuticals, I always like to look at genetic testing to understand what's appropriate medication intervention if necessary at all. And I think that that's often overlooked. And there are some psychiatrists that are now really getting into the understanding of the individualized genetic metabolites. And I think that that's very helpful and should be done when we're prescribing medications in the first place, truly. This is fascinating. I would love to know if you could explain because I think there are so many people that are on antidepressants and, um, and, and there may be a need, you know, in a moment of time where there, there may, need, there just may need to be some intervention to get somebody above water, but can you explain the difference, you know, or ex maybe explain the mechanism of what an, a antidepressant drug is doing, how that's actually operating, you know, on our nervous system in the brain versus, you know, how you could, what the difference would be if you were to support your body naturally, like what, what is that? What are those opposing viewpoints look like? Because I think that, that for a lot of people, we don't even have the time or capacity to even understand it. It's just like, put a bandaid on to get me above water. And then, and then we'll start addressing things, but life just continues. And so for many of us, we just don't, we just don't even understand. And it's like, we don't even have the capacity to do that. And I think you're a brilliant, uh, you, you have a, really uh, exceptional talent uh, or skill set more uh, more so to take very complex things and make them very simple for people to understand and i think this could be really helpful for somebody that maybe has been on an antidepressant and they're thinking i'm afraid i can't ever come off i'm afraid i'm i can't go back to what i did so how could that person maybe look at okay here's how i can start supporting my body where i can maybe i can rebalance these areas like we just talked about 
Sure. Yeah. So I, I always say uh, to individuals that we want to build up the legs of the stool before we pull a seat out in, in theory, right? <laughs> so if someone is using a medication that is especially impacting a receptor site, uh, we want to make sure that we don't just pull that stool out and then they're left in a dynamic deficit or deficiency, um, especially when they were reliant on that receptor activation mechanism. So, you know, generally speaking, just for lack of, you know, digging into all the different medications, the, the main ones are SSRIs or SSRNIs. So these are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or selective serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. And so um, when we're looking at these medications, they're working on, again, a receptor site to block the feedback that says that the brain has gotten that neurotransmitter so that there's kind of more of a continual dinging or stimulus of that neurotransmitter response. Um, but what's concerning is again, you know, when we are interfering with biomechanics or physiological response of the brain and body with a stagnant, because there should be remarkable fluctuations and changes in serotonin based on the demands of the day, based on the gut biome, based on environment, based on sleep, based on all these things. And so when we get in a stagnant space, we could liken this to birth control getting into a stagnant space and robbing the body of its luteal peak, et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. um, when we get into a stagnant space, there's, there's often going to be dysfunction because the body is just so miraculously designed to have variability and um, dynamics. And what can happen when we're constantly stimulating that receptor site is like, we're scooping out of the pot, but we're not putting the ingredients into mm -hmm. the soup if that makes sense. It's like the easiest way to explain it. And so the problem is if you were to bring in, for instance, so for the world of an SSRI, um, in my supplement line, I actually don't offer anything that can interfere with psychological medications because of the concern of getting into like a manic serotonin syndrome. Mm. Um, so for instance, you know, we wouldn't use 5-HTP, which is 5-hydroxytryptophan, the direct derivative tryptophan converts to 5-HTP with the use of B6, then other B vitamins to aid as cofactors into serotonin. And so for these individuals, I might work with tryptophan rich foods first. Mm -hmm. And then when they're ready to wean medication, we will bring in 5-HTP, but with a very strategic timeline of wean. And so I, I, you know, I can't go over that because it's too much of a liability because I can't tell listeners how to do that <laughs> without an individualized approach. Um, but generally what we will do is we will then start to bring in that compound because as you're reducing that stimulus, we can start to fill the pot. If you're keeping the stimulus at a constant, you're filling up the pot, then you're going to go into overdrive mode, if that makes sense. Um, and so we can work with, for instance, things like, I, I love a formula in my line called Calm and Clear, which has, instead of giving tryptophan, we would give maybe like L-theanine, right, um, is in there. Also, there are nervine herbs in there. So there's going to be, um, you know, some supportive lemon balm and calming agents. There's going to be B vitamins sweet in there in methylated forms. Um, there's mm. also going to be taurine in there, which helps with GABA production. So you can, in other legs of the stool, start to support an anxiolytic or anxiety reducing experience that the individual feels less need for. And when they're at that stage, then you can work with a strategic medication wean if that makes sense. But that's a really good point. I, I was going to ask you about that. Like when individuals always, um, when they come to the office, they're thinking that serotonin, dopamine, like the main ones that most people focus in on, that the derivatives, like whenever you have substrates, uh, like you say, giving somebody more tryptophan or more tyrosine rich foods, because those are the basically the substrates that are developed into yep. serotonin and dopamine. And there's a misnomer, I believe, out in our culture that let's say, well, you don't have enough serotonin and melatonin so we're just going to add in there. And yeah. I don't think that it's taught enough, of course, that you can have upregulation. If you have too much of some yes. neurotransmitters, you're going to have manic. You're going to have ADHD or ADD or OCD. And mm -hmm. I think it's the beauty of it. It's like knowing which types of nutrients would be needed to break down, like you say, break down the tryptophan into a serotonin 5-HTP because more than likely I'm, you're going to have patients or individuals out there that really truly believe that they're doing their best they are they can and they are they're, they're doing right. their best because they they study it and i think that when you can see that there are substrates that there are ways that you have to monitor it and be very specific by individuality it gives people hope because people mm -hmm. out there do you guys find that like individuals out there are they they're some can be manic some can be totally anxiety driven and you can pinpoint like what you do with your work and say 
No, this is where it's at. This is where you're not breaking it down. Mm -hmm, you're not getting mm -hmm. enough. Like you just said, I can't fill the pot. You're not getting enough B6 or zinc mm -hmm. or manganese. Mm -hmm. And you're not breaking this down to make this neurotransmitter to calm it down. And when I think that when you study somebody's genetics, you know, and they say, well, they have methylation right. issues or homocysteine issues. I love it. Do you like this, Hallie, when they come in and you start to tell them like, I can tell what your personality is mm -hmm. just from your genetic test. Right, I can tell right. what your kid's personality is. Mm -hmm. And they go, I was like, are they a go-getter? And they do this and they like to hit other kids and do this. And they're like, that is exactly what they do. Right. And I'm like, and you go, well, you know, that MAO issues or something of that sort, yeah. like the genes. And I think it's what you say to all the legs to the stool. Yeah. Like knowing yeah. that people coming to you, knowing that you have that, that database and that knowledge, it encourages me. Like it makes me want to learn more because when I read your stuff, I'm like, man, I don't know enough. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I, I think know. equally there are some safe, like more again, pendulum swing versus one directional impacts. Yeah. Like, so L-theanine, I think is worth discussing a little bit, you know, because that helps with alpha brainwave regulation. And so that's, what's really high in matcha. That's why matcha kind of got its big buzz as being mm. somewhat of an atropic cognitive enhancer. And what happens when our alpha brainwaves rise is that that helps us to be in a concentration and focus without agitation and anxiety. Um, mm. So the L-theanine in some sense mitigates the caffeine impact as far as that epinephrine adrenaline response. Um, and L-theanine is a pretty solid regulator. That's my go-to uh, to work with any individual with ADHD, in ch including children. Uh, mm. It's kind of the first line defense. And then I might bring in uh, adaptogens because we see really solid research on rhodiola and cognitive focus, uh, also that stamina and endurance response. Cordyceps could be a very good fit there. So there are some of these, like when we use the word adaptogen, an adaptogen by definition helps us to adapt to a stress response. And this could be physiological. So it could be the high intensive athlete that has a higher need for adaptogens to not mm. burn out. Mm -hmm. It could be mental, emotional stress. It could be maybe not stress that you stress like an individual like myself who runs three companies and has a six and a half year old and is also trying to run a homestead, you know, so, gracious. <laughs> you know, there's, there's that where it's like, I can't function without adaptogens because I don't want to burn out. I need to keep the hustle moving. And so I think that there are great tools. Magnesium bisglycinate would be another one I would call mm -hmm. out as a pretty, like, Pretty much everyone would benefit from mag bisglycinate and especially in the world of anxiety, especially individuals that are dealing with arrhythmia or more of the blood pressure or cardiovascular response of stress. Magnesium bisglycinate is beautiful because it's a neuromuscular relaxer. And so it helps with that tension when we're holding it in the jaw or the neck or throughout the body, which often high stressed, anxious individuals will hold and it allows that release but also of the forms of magnesium, it crosses the blood brain barrier and it's able to inhibit the pituitary from releasing ACTH or stimulating wow. the cortisol response. Um, so I call magnesium bisglycinate the bodyguard of our adrenals. Like it's like, whoop, don't want to turn this guy on. So I think that that's a really cool impact that many people don't recognize about mag bisglycinate. Um, and so taking that in the evening can help with that middle of the night waking. If individuals are waking at 3 a.m., um, phosphatidylserine would be another one I'd throw in there. Um, that's another one that can help with regulating cortisol response for individuals dealing with circadian issues. And yes, those might be more foundational than just going to that aftermath of the melatonin, uh -huh. kind of like that quick fix it's, it's, and that's that, that strategic functional medicine, right. Of not just like you're low in this. It's like you run a micronutrient give you this, panel. Add yeah, on. You're, like, you're low in zinc, yeah. this, this, and I'm just going to give you seven things without looking at the story of, Oh, I see your glutamine is low. I see your biotin is low. I see your vitamin K is low. Clearly these are gut derived nutrients, you know, so the glutamine would, would speak to leaky gut, the biotin and vitamin K would be what's going on in the microbiome because those are manufactured in the colon. And so, you know, it, it's, it's then getting back to, do we need to do a gut cleanse and work with probiotics? Maybe we use these targeted nutrients if you're symptomatic of those deficiency trends, but those aren't the, those aren't the solution. Those are the band-aid wow. to get you through addressing the deficiency. Good. You still have to hit that root component um, of the, why we got there in the first place. That is such a great point. And, and Cord, I'm not trying to, this, that's so great. When you like, we would talk about like, you mean biotin, like when you say, when individuals say, well, I'll take more biotin and my hair, my hair, skin and nails are low. Right. And you go into it and you say, we'll take more biotin. But then if you look at like the acids that yeast give off, tartaric acid, if they bind 
to certain other, and you know this, if they bind to certain other amino acids like arabinitol or arabinose, they'll actually block you from absorbing biotin. And right. so individuals right. like, well, I'll just take more biotin. I'm like, no, you got to get rid of the yeast. If you don't get rid of that, that's an issue yeah. where you're going to have horrible skin, hair, and nails. And Courtney, totally. I, I, when she talks about adaptogens, Courtney has like a really good adaptogen coffee that she she introduced me to though. Yeah. And I'm just saying, <laughs> and so I'm like, now anytime I see Courtney, I'm like, please make me that that delicious drink. I do. Um, she does. And, and I'm going to get it. every time. Do you have, and Courtney, I'm not trying to overspeak, but do you have like an adaptogen um, mixture in your, your product line that you use, Allie? Do you have one made like that's specific that has the rhodiola and cordyceps and things? I know you do. I just want you to point that out because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to start taking it. So yeah. Yeah. So it's called adaption boost. I keep it on my desk because it helps to support the hustle. And so it has cordyceps, uh, rhodiola, and panax ginseng. So it's just those oh, wow. three components um, in a really good synergistic delivery. And then the calm and clear, which is more of like, so adaptogen boost we use for stamina, stress-induced fatigue to prevent stress-induced fatigue and to reserve the adrenal gland. So if we're dealing with adrenal insufficiency or adrenal excess, this could be a good fit, the adaptogen okay. boost. The Calm and clear, which is the kind of other formula that has the L-theanine, the methylated bees. I keep folate out of that formula on purpose because of COMT. Um, mm. So on the genetic kind of nerd level, I see, I see often people just look at their MTHFR and some of them might be heterozygous. Um, and the A copy, not the C677T, mm. which is the more dominant, right? Mm. And it's like, well, yeah, you're maybe methylating at like 80% instead of a hundred, if you're heterozygous on an A126, you know, copy, but you don't probably need five milligrams of methylfolate because if you take five milligrams of methylfolate, you're over methylating. And especially if you have COMT, what happens is your cat, which stands for catecholamine methylase transferase. Um, your catecholamines are made by the adrenals and that's your dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine. So some neurotransmitters are manufactured by adrenals, some in the gut, et cetera. For individuals that have COMT issues, if they overmethylate, all of a sudden they drive up all of those catecholamines and, and they're like in Whole Foods and they're like super stimmed out. Like, what, what am I getting off the shelf? The what lights are so bright. Um, it's like almost paralyzing how overmethylation can impact those people. So I am strategic about all of my, you know, prenatals, my multis, my B complex has methylated quadrifolate or 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. But in the calm and clear, because I want to allow that flexion of dosage to keep us mm -hmm. parasympathetic, I do only uh, methylcobalamin. So only methylated B12 for listeners versus the folate, because I don't generally put folate above two milligrams in a methylated form for most individuals. So I'll like combine what's in their prenatal or their multi and take that into account, maybe three milligrams, but something like Deplin, which is a pharmacological medication comes in a five or a 10 milligram you know, I've seen again, in conjunction with mm -hmm. psychiatric medications, yes, can be appropriate, but that's a very individualized yes. level. So that's kind of one of those that I think methylation is important, but again, it's kind of like that hot kid on the block where it's like, you don't just solely exclusively look at methylation is everything. Um, and, and I, I mean, I think it's a reason to keep processed refined foods out of the diet and a reason to keep grain-free because all flour, even if it's organic King Arthur flour, it has synthetic folic acid in it. So we can do, yeah. again, the preventative elements of mm. not disrupting methylation uh, and be very kind of across the board there. But as far as the supplemental intervention there, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty moderate. Courtney, interject. I'm not trying, this is draining my brain because sometimes on a gene test, right, you'll find individuals that have like, everybody's hot ticket, you say is MTHFR, MTRR, uh, MTHFD, they'll say, well, I need to know about methylation. And you're, when you go into their genetics, you'll start to see, like you'll say a COMT issue or NMAO. And so at some points I'll see individuals, they methylate really well. Like, well, you actually right. have a really good methylation genetic culture right now going on, but their homocysteine cycles are pretty screwed up. And then if they have even a small amount of MTHFR, a lot of times functional medicine doctors or even doctors will say, we'll take five MTHF and then they just drive and ramp it up. And then they get mm -hmm. really, really uh, methylating too many methyl groups. And then that will actually screw up how well, well their COMT works. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing that I love when you say that you had to have that balancing out with folic acid because most individuals mm -hmm. wouldn't realize like eating wheat or grain that has synthetic yeah. folic acid would actually cause those issues. Right. Um, and I hope I had a point to this. I'm saying this though, 
I just want people out there when they listen, it's such a great point is that you focus a lot on MTHFR and so many people do, but like, if you don't focus on your Krebs cycle yeah. or the homocysteine cycle, you right. can miss a whole lot. Like in my yeah. opinion though. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, Courtney, I'm sorry if I totally interjected your time. So no. <laughs> I'm nerding out too. I love talking about this. Stuff. I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking like, man, they are so smart. <laughs> if you're listening I, and you're just like, what? This is like, my mind is blown. Like I'm with you. I'm your girl. I'm, I'm sitting here too, like watching you too. And I'm like, man, they got all, I mean, this is like amazing, unbelievable. And this is really helpful information. I feel like because genetics a lot of times aren't taken into consideration, right? We just kind of go right. with, well, what are, what are people presenting with? What's the symptomatology? What does this look like? And then, you know, we add in some extra nutrients and a lot of times that could backfire for a lot of people. And they think, gosh, I started taking more stuff that's supposed to be helping. And I'm actually getting worse. It's like mm-hmm. me up even more and pushing me, you know, further on the end of the spectrum that, you know, is off of the, the balance, the homeostasis my body's trying to get to. So uh-huh. it's just like, you know, just because I'm, I'm interested. Like I, it's funny because I just came from this like women's group that I meet with on Friday mornings. And so there's just a lot, you know, we're all in this season of life and there's just a lot, you know, running businesses, households, kids, you know, the world as it stands with so many unknowns, um, and a lot of fear and things like that. So, and I love your, your R's, like all the different R's, like the six R's. So for that person that maybe feels like, okay, I probably have a little bit of everything here, but the adrenal portion I know for a fact is like way far beyond where we need to be. How can that person to simplify and kind of give them maybe action steps that aren't over or that maybe don't scare them into thinking like, I'm going to do something wrong for my body. Where would you start? Maybe even on a food level and then maybe from a nutrient standpoint, if you were to add in something or adaptogens or whatnot. Yeah. So the adrenal glands, have two parts. They have the cortex and the medulla. Uh, and the cortex is where we make the steroidal hormone, which is cortisol is kind of the most famous of them, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so cortisol, DHEA and aldosterone is made in the cortex. And then in the medulla is where we make the neurotransmitters, the dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine. Um, and so people can have adrenal insufficiency. Some people in the, the medical space hate the word adrenal fatigue, but whatever, it's kind of the same thing. Um, basically where the adrenal gland over time is not putting out ample cortisol. We'll usually use a four point cortisol assessment to look mm-hmm. at the cascade of cortisol output. It should peak at rise and kind of work like an L curve or an L, I guess, angle um, that cascades throughout the day. And generally when I'm looking at lab values, I like them to kind of half as they progress through the day, Mm. if you will. So if you're peaking at 15, you're going 7.5, you're going three something, and then you're going like 1.5 kind of thing would be an ideal distribution. But we've seen individuals that can have, for instance, like insufficient cortisol with excessive DHEA. And then that becomes tricky because that Mm. individual wouldn't be someone you'd want to use an adrenal glandular with because Mm. they're just going to be pumping up DHEA. This could be an individual dealing with PCOS, um, androgenic acne. Um, this could be an individual that, cause DHEA for listeners can convert into both estrogen and testosterone and DHEA also declines with age. It's been said to be a metabolic miracle. Um, and it plays a huge role with muscle tone. I liken DHEA when I'm explaining it to patients as a rubber band. So when DHEA status is super high, um, like over the thousands, we'll see like this snappy, bitey, irritable, short fuse, um, almost like incredible Hulk mode where we're just (laughs) really wired. And then when DHEA is insufficient or low, we'll see like softness in the body, like not enough, not the ability to gain muscle mass with exercise. Um, We might see some metabolic resistance um, or weight gain. We'll also see some apathy or like flatness, like that rubber band doesn't have its turgidity. It's like, oh, and so we can feel flat. We can have depression with low DHEA. We Mm -hmm. can also have suppressed sex hormone, lower testosterone and estrogen because we don't have that building block. And then, you know, aldosterone would be a a bigger influence in the world of blood pressure regulation. And and so for people that are listening, you know, that's kind of the types of things you would look at when you're trying to understand where my adrenals are at. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can also see individuals that have adrenal insufficiency where their cortisol and DHEA is low, but they're running on adrenaline. And those catecholamines are the only thing keeping them in a functional space. And so for listeners, the biggest thing to understand is that your adrenals were created for the body to be a survival mechanism that are pulsed 
at times of need. And, you know, we've mentioned this HPA axis, but we're in this sympathetic nervous system is our fight or flight. Parasympathetic is not just rest and digest mode. I call the parasympathetic mode, the regulatory mode for the body, because Mm -hmm. right when we're in that nice swing of parasympathetic space, the hypothalamus is better to regulate body temperature, sleep cycles. The hypothalamus is better producing stimulus to sex hormone production. So there's better reproductive health and cycle regulation, pituitary, even more poignant, I would say in that space where that's what regulates our LH and our FSH, et cetera. But so if you see issues with hormones, if you see issues with fatigue, if you see issues with anxiety and you're someone that had high stress impact, maybe there was a hurricane in your area and you had to move or a big divorce or, you know, big remarkable impact, or you're burning the midnight oil. These would be reasons to dig into really honing in on the adrenals. And I don't recommend glandulars without clinical testing, but when we do see clinical testing to be appropriate, adrenal glandulars are absolutely necessary, just like armorthroid or naturethroid. If there's insufficient circulating hormone, that's a pillar of the tent to keep things up. But again, I like to look at labs because just blindly taking an adrenal glandular, if you're someone that had that high DHEA below cortisol or high epinephrine, but suppressed steroidal hormone, it's not going to feel good. You're going to go into more uh, production Mm -hmm. of whatever your imbalance was. So the better, safer space to start with is adaptogens. So that would be like the adaptogen boost or working with any of those types of compounds. Ashwagandha could be very fitting as well beyond the rhodiola and cordyceps and ginseng. Vitamin C is a huge player to the adrenals of all of the tissues in our body. We hold the most vitamin C in our adrenal glands. Mm. So that's a huge indicator also of that connection kind of full circle of our convo about uh, immune and stress and anxiety connection, right? And so we know the role of vitamin C is quite vast in immunological processes in regulating oxidative stress in supporting white blood cell proliferation. But when we look at uh, vitamin C storage, it's highest concentrate in the adrenals and vitamin C helps in the metabolites of our catecholamines or those stress responding chemicals. So Mm. if they're off, we need more vitamin C. Um, vitamin C also helps with cortisol regulation. Um, so this is a really beautiful, I think, intervention for listeners that are a little burned out as a safe spot as well. You know, like a two gram vitamin C. I love acerola cherry as a source versus, you know, just a straight up citric acid from, you know, if we're getting a source of ascorbic acid, which can come from corn. Um, so uh, really looking at source of your vitamin C. I like a formula that has bioflavonoids in it as well. I have one called BioC plus but two grams a day would be a really great starting point. You might need to separate it if it causes some looser stool or work your way up to that dosage. But that's a really great way to tonify also those adrenal glands. If you're in the dark and you don't know what things are looking like. Mm -hmm. And then in the diet, I most definitely work with a little bit higher fat because we need fat to support pregnenolone and master hormone production. And pregnenolone is that, that master hormone that converts into cortisol, as well as sex hormone and cholesterol. So getting a higher fat diet, um, doing a moderate form of keto might be appropriate for this individual, but we wouldn't want them to be super time restricted eating or eating at a very tight level of carb restriction, because that could actually in itself be a stressor for the body to have that metabolic process or need to produce ketones. So I kind of take like a gentle Mediterranean keto approach for these individuals, but I do upregulate the fat and make sure that the a woman or man is getting ample protein from good, clean biological sources. And then I really work vitamin C adaptogens. And then we kind of go from there. I I like the the fact that when you, um, with bio-individuality, because I think a lot of individuals will, they'll try something for their adrenals because a lot of times they come in and they'll say, Hey, I took this adrenal supplement and I I actually feel kind of worse Mm -hmm. or this is not working for me. And I think you give hope because you see that you could be using the medulla or the cortex and yeah. you could use different parts of your body. And so you just have to get those places fine tuned. So individuals, I find, do you guys see this? Like they'll try one thing because they're doing their best. I mean, they're trying their best and then they go, well, that didn't work for me. This made me feel worse. So right. they always try something else, like a new thing. And they're like, well, I tried this, this, this. I'm like, oh, if you fine tune and you understand, like you said, the lab work and you know where mm-hmm. you're burning this and where your stress levels are at, you could actually get the right nutrient in that was specific for you. That's what I love mm-hmm. about how you approach this. Like, man, I am going to re-listen to this because I love the way <laughs> you're talking about all the 
nutrients. I think, and such. I'm totally I think nerding out. podcast that you've done, Allie, I've had to probably listen to twice and they're not ones. I'll tell you, you do not listen to them on like 1.5 or 1.25 <laughs> way too much. So you got to slow it down, but okay. So I love where this conversation is going. And I love even more about you are quite a chef. I have to say as much as you are clinically minded you can cook and you've got cooking. a number of videos and YouTube and all the stuff I followed and, and your cookbook is phenomenal. Um, and you really put a big emphasis on just flavor palettes and yes. savory and umami and all of these things, which mm. I love because I think that it's really important for us not to lose sight on using food as a foundation of medicine yes. and we do that really, really well. And I think that's what really starts brings some clarity around it is, okay, we can add on some of the, like, I feel like the training wheels, like the extra support for your body where it may have depleted certain nutrients or things have compromised, certain organ systems have compromised because mm. that's where it just has to short out at some point. And so it's trying to keep you alive. So it's going to, you know, maybe put reproduction off to the side or right. things that maybe aren't right. necessary, but you really like to build in these foundations of food as medicine and you make yeah. it fun. I mean, I, I like love Thank your you. videos and you bring your family into it. So can you maybe give us an idea of what it looks like maybe yeah. for you working with some of your patients on building out kind of an experience or profile of foods that are supportive of sure. your mental health? I think that's great. Yeah. Uh, so one area of focus. So I said fats are essential, you know, absolutely for hormone management um, and for the body to feel safe. Leptin is a really powerful hormone also as an anxiolytic. We really think of leptin often in only metabolic state. Leptin translates in the Greek language to thin. Um, and so it plays a role with satiety, but it actually docks in the hypothalamus. There are receptor sites for leptin in the thyroid and the ovaries. Um, and so we actually see when it docks to the hypothalamus that the body feels fed. And when the body feels fed or nourished, like we've seen hypothalamic dysregulation with amenorrhea, let's say loss of cycle, right. Or hypothalamic dysregulation with eating disorders or over-restricting. So that leptin is really important to, to get into the hypothalamus, to tell the body it's safe, it's satiated, and that helps to regulate that parasympathetic space. So mm. leaning into uh, quality fats is really key. And one of my ways I like to do that is with dips and homemade salad dressings. So I think a really good kind of homework assignment for listeners is to play with like four or five dips in your repertoire that are nourishing that you can use with a crudette, or I like to call them like elevated lunchables. <laughs> um, so some of my dips that I offer on my blog or in my cookbooks, like uh, I have a beautiful beet hummus. I have a pumpkin seed pesto. Uh, I have a gremolata. So that's more kind of parsley mm. lemon driven mm. with olive oil, a chimichurri with orange zest. And we put oregano in that. It's actually called a bacteria battling chimichurri in my reset the gut chapter because olive oil, garlic, oregano are all support for gut microbiome imbalance or cleanse state. And then there's, you know, various other, uh, I have a tahini goddess. Um, and so making one of these dips is a great vehicle to have in your fridge as a go-to and you kind of rotate through these, um, because it's a great way to get an abundance of antioxidant also in a delivery of a qualitative fat. Mm -hmm. Um, same could be said for like a rustic balsamic dressing, or I love this lime cumin garlic, um, salad dressing. That's like really lovely in the spring and summertime with pepitas and pickled onion and fresh cilantro in a salad. Um, and I think, yes, if you're going to use food as medicine, it has to taste good. Uh, and that's one of my favorite parts of my work is we get this kind of like passive experience in the household, whether it's someone's partner or child or whatnot, because if the individual is making these meals and the other family members are enjoying them, then they're getting not through osmosis, but through actual food as medicine delivery to their body, right? Some therapeutic effect. And they're also starting to rewire their palate, which is super essential for sustainable change. And that's where I'm pretty vigilant. Although I do a lot of work in the keto space and just to note as a misnomer with this kind of keto space and whatnot, I believe very strongly that the body is built and hardwired to be a hybrid and to use both ketones and glucose. And we, when we rob the body of the ability to make ketones, we're not in optimal balance. Um, and so I talk a lot about the role of ketones also crossing the blood brain barrier, upregulating GABA, which is a mellowing outing signal for the brain, the, you know, 
beta hydroxybutyrate in itself. Butyrate is so tonifying for gut and epithelial tissue. There's just so many mechanisms of how moderate keto, not a dirty keto, you know, doing again, this more Mediterranean, very vibrant phytocompound rich, but being mindful of carbs and glycemic index and really working in your own metabolic flexibility. Um, and mm -hmm. so what I mean by that is you might start in my, in my anti-anxiety diet, I give phases. I have a phase one, a phase 1.5 and a phase two phase one is tighter carb control, um, where we're really trying to keep at like 30 grams of carbs a day to get into ketosis. And then once we're producing ketones, we may be able to hang out at 75, 80 grams of carbs, which could look like half a cup of sweet potato, butternut squash, bone broth based bisque at lunch with, uh, I'm not adding other things, but I'm just naming the carbs, right? Berries in your breakfast, and then still having, you know, one or two dates with almond butter and coconut shreds as a post-workout, um, you know, so, so you can eat non-keto foods and still produce ketones. And I think that's where, again, we get kind of myopic and I'm kind of a a rogue uh, keto practitioner in that space that I don't do any non-caloric sweeteners. I don't do any erythritol. I don't do any monk fruit. I don't do any stevia because I find that these create palate dysregulation. Um, they also mm. stimulate GLP-1, um, which mm. creates hunger. It's, it's the opposing mechanism of Ozempic, you know, those, those hot medications that are like the new diet drugs that are out there that the Kardashians are doing. I, I think that we need to break up with sweet and channel savory to get good clinical outcomes with food as medicine. And if we're constantly telling the body that sweet is safe, um, through these non-caloric sweeteners, not only do they disrupt the microbiome and cause nutrient deficiency and all these other things, when we're at a wedding shower or a coffee um, line or anywhere where there's a donut or a pastry or whatever, you're going to mentally be white knuckling that and like, oh, this doesn't work with my low carb diet, but I want that. That's a, that's a taste that my brain desires that I feel like should be accepted. So I don't do birthday cake keto bars or any of that garbage. You know, it's all about really whole food based variety of flavors, a lot of color, a lot of herb seasoning spices. And, um, I'm pretty hefty in the salt game as well. And that connects the adrenals too. You know, I keep a salt rock on my desk and I like, <laughs> I literally suck on it between clients. This. Like, this is a salt crystal. I also like, I'm a heavy salter. I keep a uh, red mineral salt pocket shaker yeah. that I shake. Yes. And Just my palm. Up. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for people that are dealing with cravings um, or even adrenal fatigue, this can be a really good add in. I'll actually have them do salt first thing in the morning on a tablespoon of olive oil. So we're getting this tonifying omega nine, beautiful hormone balancing fat tablespoon of olive oil or two, depending good leptin reset in the morning, teaspoon of salt, maybe half teaspoon, depending you can go coarse. And then you just kind of treat your fingertip like a breadstick and just lick it and eat it. And that can start your day and kind of prime your body in a really beautiful way. So I kind of went on a rant there. But wow. Mic drop. That is yeah. so good. I know. I, I'm like all about the salt and oh, I man. have the same little miniature Redmond's reel. I think I bought like a 10 pack of them or something. <laughs> I can tell you TSA does not like the salt shaker when you travel <laughs> because I have been flagged more times and my husband's like, it's always the salt. I was like, I will, not, you will not catch me without, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I think I actually found this from you, um, the Cassandrino's olive oil, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, sell mm -hmm. the little Spartan packs of olive yeah. oil. So I, I travel with them all the time. It's like my dynamic duo. I have like my <laughs> mini salt shaker and my little Spartan pack of olive oil. And I'm like, worse, normally there's like an avocado somewhere in my bag too. Cause I'm like, worst case scenario that right. suffice for hours. Like I can just, and a beef stick or something, but mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it, I think that I just, I love that you love flavor. So it's not about just like restrict, restrict, restrict. It's really about exploring what a lot of these flavor profiles, what, what the experience of them and, and even the seasonality of them are. So like yes. even different herbs and things like that, it's like you grow a lot. Like you show how, you yeah. know, it's like we, we do this like cyclically throughout the year, like what's in season and what can we yes. grow fresh. And so we're grounding foods in the winter, more curries, more stews. Right. And then we kind of go lighter and, and it is natural and it follows the cycles of what the earth produces based on what's going on in our environment. I'd also just say as a food thing that I think is really important is playing with bone broth. So I often, and I have a couple of videos on the YouTube of like just doing blended sip, sipping bone broths. Cause we can get burned out. And it's like, you know, how many times do we as practitioners be like, okay, are you sipping your bone broth? Are you getting in bone broth and bone broth needed more at times of stress? Because 
when we are under high stress, we'll actually see things like secretory IgA, which is a marker of often we'll look at that as an indicator of gut infection, but secretory IgA we've tested saliva with social anxiety goes up. Um, And so there's a connection of when we're stressed, secretory IgA actually drills holes in our gut lining. Literally. Mm. And and the mechanism with pathogen infection is that the, the idea is that the body's saying, well, we're not getting rid of it. We're going to actually let it leach out through the galt, the gut associated lymphatic tissue, and let the immune system try to deal with this burden. But secretory IgA can be elevated independent of gut infection just based on stress alone. And so when I'm on the road, um, when I'm doing more keynotes or stuff on stage or a really intensive time of burn or book deadline, I'm doing a lot more of my GI lining support, which has L-glutamine, DGL, and aloe, but I'm also ensuring I'm always getting 16 ounces of bone broth on those said days. And I think sometimes we get bone broth burnout, especially as we go into summer. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, I don't want hot hot meat juice in a cup. Um, So keeping it different is really fun too. So I'll do a a solid blend that I like to do is uh, coconut milk with uh, turmeric powder and um, uh, fresh cilantro and then copious amounts of salt. So it's just like a golden broth, but it just sips really beautifully in light. I'll also even take like if I have fresh tomatoes or I've canned tomatoes, throw those into broth. Also could add coconut milk if you want to keep it dairy free or a little bit of heavy cream, fresh basil. And you got a quick tomato basil, like blend in a mug. Um, and so things like that, keeping a different cream of greens is one of my go-tos. So it's like, you're making a green smoothie, but with bone broth, right? Mm. So you take three cups of lacinato kale, two cloves of garlic. Um, and you literally can take like a beautiful fond bone broth or bonafide provisions or homemade. Um, but you just heat it up you throw in the blender and then you have this like really beautiful, rich, vibrant, um, sippable beverage or, you know, meal in a mug that then you could add protein on top, et cetera. So I like to incorporate bone broth into bisques and, um, soups and as a base of, of meals often. And I think that that's something also as kind of a goal for listeners, because there's just so many therapeutic effects to be getting that in for guts to gut support. And also glycine, um, is another area which would help with that GABA production. Oh, I like know. it that we have, um, the option of looking at your literature and you can see that you know, your genetics, you know, about neurotransmitters, about gut health, and you incorporate that within foods about how to add in those vitamins and minerals within your daily diet. And I think people are surprised that if, uh, if they do follow these plans and, I say dietary plans or meal planning and such like that, they'll notice a lot of their symptomatology would go away yeah, and they would never suspect it. Like having a great chimichurri or something of that sort in the morning, like having turmeric or oregano to actually cleanse their body and, and yeah. allowing that to work. Um, kudos to you. Uh, hey, Ali, this is really, really good. Uh, I'm Thank really you. impressed. And I, I'm not saying it matters to me, but I just really am. I'm just, I think this has been a great podcast. Really awesome. well. Yeah. Good. I, uh, I love this conversation and I am now hungry and I'm thinking of <laughs> wonderful things I can make. But um, one thing too, that I think is just worth mentioning, you know, one thing that I have been inspired by you is um, kind of this experience of cooking. So part of the stress that I felt like that I was just dealing with, and this is, the, you know, I'm not saying I've got it all figured out by any means, but getting back in the kitchen, it's very therapeutic to just spend some time, you know, chopping your vegetables, like finding the best places to source, go to a farmer's market. And I understand Mm -hmm. it takes time and maybe you don't have a lot of margin. So don't feel like you've got to just, you know, do it all. Like you, you don't, maybe you, you don't grow your own vegetables and it's not, but even finding like bone broth, like you said, like you and um, your counterpart, Becky do this a lot. And so I see you guys always like sipping on broth and talking about it. And I'm like, yep. what a great practice. Like even the process of making it can have this lev- this influence on the brain to just be like, Hey, we're having a moment. Like we're going to yeah. calm down. We're going to step off the ledge for a moment and nourish ourselves. And even the process of making it is a part of the healing. It's a part of your body really coming out of that sympathetic driven state. And then you get to enjoy it. Like what a beautiful, like full circle picture that is. And so I love that you really bring us into that because you show the whole, you show start to finish and that you actually live that out. So yeah, it's just a little. It's fun. And and, well, I think a a lot of what we hear in today's modern societies, like I don't have time to cook. Right. Or, you know, that's a lot of work. Um, and, and I have to say, you know, a, 
we have to create some status of surrender uh, and figure out how to make it work. You can do simple, like those broth things that I mentioned. I mean, those are like five minute recipes, literally. You literally dump, dump, put it in the Vitamix and pour it in your mug or heat it if you desire, right? But we have to find, yes, like quick 15 minute nourishing options, which I, I try to create and do that for us. But even in the process, I think connecting the dots of that like emotional element of, are you making the food while you're saying, oh, I'm so annoyed. I have so much crap to do and I shouldn't be doing in your head. Um, or are you surrendering to the flow? I have a whole concept in my book called surrender to the flow um, and making peace with the presence. And I find that in itself to be a big area of dysregulating the HPA axis. Sometimes we're in a space in our life where maybe it's an incongruency with our ethics. Maybe we have to work a job for the certain timestamp that doesn't align maybe with principle, or maybe there's something going on that's outside of our control. We don't have to be poly positive about it, but we have to at least surrender to the presence and not be in this negative thought train because there is so much science behind this nocebo effect. And if you are putting negative thoughts and emotions and like swearing under your breath while you're trying to make dinner for the family, I mean, it sounds a little woo to say that that energetically transpires into the food, but at least within your beat, you're not going to get as much nourishment from that meal if you aren't in a open accepting, accepting space with it. And so I, I think it's really important to find and develop whether it's mantra or prayer or release um, in the space of if taking on the journey of food as medicine or wellness, I'm going to do this with joy or at least again with a peace in the presence. And I'm not going to dig my heels in and grip my teeth and shake my fist. Um, I'm going to find a way to make it work. Um, and I think mm. keeping that perspective is really important. And then, I mean, I'm always like, don't y'all like have good music to listen to? <laughs> like, We love the cooking experience in my household. And uh, now that I opened my market, which makes all of my recipes and I have chefs that produce food out here in Hill Country, I will say it's really great to grab <laughs> my almond flour, paleo chicken tenders and, you know, some of these broth based soups and things with ease and have that in the household for sure. But I love the ritual of cooking. I, I like to make the meal prep the experience of the evening. And so it's a time when my daughter will be coloring at the kitchen table. We put on good music. She sometimes helps with some of the prep elements. My husband digs in. We talk about our day. You know, um, it's 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 an experience. Um, and I think when you allow that experience, that becomes then a new ritual for your household. And then that becomes likely desirable versus just numbing out and being distracted and disconnected from the other household members, really. Mm, that's mm. great. That is so good. The that's experience. Good. Yeah. I knew an old Chinese practitioner, a Chinese medicine practitioner, and he uh, would sing and he would do Qigong movements while he cooked dinner. Love it. And he used to yeah. tell us, he says, he goes, I'm infusing the frequency of joy into the food. I love it. I love it. And you actually felt happier after you ate the food. Yeah. And yep. he, and you could feel the energy off of them. It was, mm -hmm. it was quite profound, actually. Well, I mean, when we know for sure the xenohormesis that occurs in meats, um, which is why it's important to be mindful of sourcing with your protein selection. I mean, there's been studies about like glutamine depletion in uh, more of a confined animal farm slaughter base where there's a stressed environment prior to slaughter versus in many pasture raised, smaller scale ranchers, you know, they're eating grass in one moment and they get an air gun to the head the next moment and nothing changed in their stress response and their meat's way more tender um, because of that. They don't have that glutamine depletion. So, I mean, there's yeah. definitely something to it for sure. Definitely. That's Man. Great. Wow, guys, we covered some ground on this episode. I love it. Uh, thank you so much, Allie, for being here with us today. I We have to give you the ground here though, to make sure that everybody knows where to connect with you because you do have incredible resources. Uh, like I have really consumed all of them. I know I keep saying that, but it's because they've it. been helpful. It's it honestly from your supplements, your books, your cookbook, you know, YouTube videos, like everything I have learned so much and just try to embody or really model a lot of what you're doing because I see the value in it. So I hope that if anything in this episode, you've really been able to take away some value from the conversation here. And maybe if you want to go a little bit deeper, you can connect with Allie, her team, and all of the places that she shows up. So if you want to give us the rundown, that'd be great. And sure. we'll make sure we get everything in the show notes for okay. all of you as well. 
Yeah. So uh, my primary website is just Allie Miller RD. So A-L-I-M-I-L-L-E-R-R-D. And that's where I have my uh, functional clinic. That's where I have my supplement line and protocols uh, under the learn tab. There's a lot of cool protocols there that people can check out. Um, And then my podcast is called Naturally Nourished. My YouTube channel is called Naturally Nourished. And then I'm on social under at Allie Miller RD. And you can get all the books and programs over at the Allie Miller RD website. We have all different levels. Uh, So, you know, I think that the YouTube is the more like bite size. We try to keep those at like 10 to 12 minute videos, uh, a little bit more, you know, like kind of TV style of like five visuals of of something that would help support endurance or exercise recovery. Whereas my podcast is, as you said, Courtney, quite nerdy. Uh, I kind of speak in a high powered hose delivery, but it's super fun. And we have over 300 and I think 70 episodes now. So we've probably covered most topics at this point. So you can kind of Google always if you're, if you're looking at a condition, you know, dysbiosis, Allie Miller RD, and just kind of see what comes up. That'd be probably your best approach. So wow. good. Yeah. This has good. been phenomenal. Thanks Dr. Motley for joining us today as well. Glad to be part of this. This was great. I had a great nerd out session today. I'm still right. thinking about these things and I'm going to go research even more. Super fun. I, Love it. Listen, anytime I can share space with both of you, I feel like I am definitely doing it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm winning today. I'm going to learn so many things. So I'm <laughs> Love excited it. to share this space with you and honored that you would give us your time uh, today, Allie. So thank you again for listening, all of you that have been with us today. Uh, check out the show notes for all the resources. Make sure you follow Allie uh, on all the different platforms that she is um, present on. And Dr. Motley, signing off until the next one. Good to see you again today. You too, girl. It's great to see you. Right. Great to see you, Allie. All yeah. right, you guys. Take Bye. it easy. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.